This is the GGC Life Podcast. My name is Leon, and I'll be bringing the word this morning. Thank you very much. All right. Can I actually grab my Bible, Zeke, and my water bottle? Sorry. Very cool. And can I get my little beautiful baby son, Elias? All right. Hello, little boy. How are you doing? Vanessa's just stuffing him with food, so he'll be uh, cooperative. Say hello, everybody. Say hi. Can you say hi? No. <laughs> It's not food. Um, okay, so when you look at this, uh, this, this is Elias. This is my son. And when you see this beautiful, he's, he's almost two. He's almost two. And uh, when you look at this little boy, what do you think? What do you see? You, he's saying, no more. Don't show me off in front of everybody. All right, we're going to probably put him down in just one more minute. But you look at him and you think, okay, there's not much to him apart from the fact that he's cute, he's adorable, he obviously loves food. I can tell you some things about him that I know today, which is he loves wheat bix he loves bananas, he loves running around, he loves going outside, he loves going to the, the park. You like going to the park? Do you like going to the park? Yeah, good boy. Um, so he loves the park. He loves all that sort of stuff. He loves making a mess of our house. It's like one of his favorite things to do. But that's about it. Like, with, apart from the, the sort of uh, principles and the prophetic sort of promises that are generalistic in the Word of God that we can apply to everyone, who knows what this beautiful boy uh, is going to become as he grows up. Thank you, Elias. And, um, and I was just like, I was reading, you know, the Christmas, I mean, it is Christmas, and I was reading some of the uh, accounts of the Christmas story, and it just blows my mind that these, there were people in the Bible that came to Jesus with gifts, these magi, they came to Jesus, and it says that they threw themselves down at him with these gifts. And you know how old, G- Jesus was around two years old at this point, around Elias' age, literally a little kid with nothing much, seemingly nothing much to offer. But they saw something in him. They saw something in him. They recognized something in him. And so uh, the title of my message today is, Who is this baby? Who is this baby? Who is this baby named Jesus? And, and, and I want to share, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. So if you do have your Bibles, pull them out. If, you got it, if, you're, if you're reading along on your phone, open up that Bible app and head on over to Luke chapter 2 because we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. And uh, the key thing that I want to take out of this is this idea of recognition, of honor, and it's, it, it shifted things it allowed these wise men, these, this, this group of magi, to see something in Jesus that they otherwise would have missed and many other people missed. You know, I wanted to share this really embarrassing story with you guys. When I was in South Africa not too long ago. And it was cool. We got to minister in a bunch of churches and hang out with lots of friends and family that um, we have there overseas. And I met this this one young guy for the first time, and he's on fire, and he's like this super hungry guy. He's, he's asking me so many questions, and he's like, you know, from what I can tell, is very inspired from some of the things that I'm bringing, and I'm like, I'm just thinking, man, this guy's awesome, and I just invited him casually to, you know, if he ever wanted to join us in Sydney and study for a little bit, or join us and maybe, um, 
you know, do some sort of an internship or, or some of the things that we provide here, that he was welcome to do so. And it turns out this young man was one of the established elders in the church. <laughs> and so I'm talking to this guy as if, you know, like I'm trying to invite him to leave his country and come and study and, and be a part of what we're doing. And this guy was just like, because of obviously this exuding humility that was on him, I just thought he was some young guy in the church with, um, with just, a, you know, a heart to learn, which is incredible. It's a heart that we should all have. Um, but because he was young, I guess, was one of the big things. And, and to think this guy was young, you know, he was, would have been in his 20s, but Jesus was two years old when the Magi came to him. Uh, I, I just feel like this, this idea of recognizing him uh, when we recognize him, it actually leads us to an appropriate response on the earth. It's actually crucial that we recognize this baby, this Jesus, for who he is, this king sitting on the throne. It won't always, you know, what's also cool about this picture that Jesus first came as a baby is that God uses uh, the, the things of the earth to confound the wise, the simple things to confound the wise. I will look at the scripture in a moment. But it's interesting that God would come in the form of a human and even more so a baby. And, and it's, it reminds us that God will use it. You know, I think it's uh, Proverbs talks about not despising the things of small beginnings. And God will use things that start small and seem insignificant. And he might be doing something in your life and it seems small. And there's like, you're getting an impression of what God might be doing. Uh, but we've got to get amongst it. We've got to pay attention and believe and see and recognize when God is doing something. Otherwise, we may completely miss it. That's right. Proverbs 25.2 says this. Check this out. This is incredible. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But it is the honor, everybody say the honor, of kings. Everybody say kings. The honor of kings to search out a matter. And so God puts things, he puts things in our lives and he puts things in scripture and he, and he wants us to seek them out and to, to be aware of what the Lord is doing. And, uh, and he's looking for people that are hungry. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story of a widow that's seeking justice and she's going before an unjust judge. And she's like, you know, grant me, uh, grant me merit against my adversary and, and, and give me justice. And, and she's pestering and pestering and pestering and pestering. And eventually the judge, the judge complies with her request. And then Jesus says this, hear what the unrighteous judge says and will not give, would not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And then this is the key. Nevertheless, Jesus is saying, when the son of man comes, will he even find faith on the earth? It's like, are there people on the earth that are hungry, willing, and uh, able to hear what he's doing, able to see what he's doing on the earth? Will we perceive what he's doing? He's looking for living faith, not dead faith, faith in action. So who is this child? Who is this child? Is he a kind child or is he a king? Is he a good teacher or is he the high priest? Is he a wise man or is he the prophet of the ages? And I feel like th there's, there's this key here. Recognize him. Recognizing him will lead us to have a, uh, an appropriate response 
to who he is. And I, and I feel like that's what God is calling us to do this Christmas season. So as we celebrate Jesus, let's consider who he is and, and what his coming means for us. So we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at uh, this, this story that follows uh, the Magi. Now, a bit of context around who the Magi are. So the Magi. The Magi are a group of people that uh, seem to study the stars, study obscure dreams. They're into astrology. Um, some people say that the, the, the etymology of the word Magi, it's shared with the, the word magician. And so these guys, they are not of the covenant that God had with uh, the Jews or Israel. But some say that uh, they had... Because, okay, something happened a long time ago. A man named Daniel, a prophet, was taken into Babylon and was given authority. Over, he, was, he was made chief of the Magi. How crazy is that? That's already like a mind-blowing thing. To think that God would put someone in a place of authority in the secular world, in the ungodly world. And so what, what Daniel brought prophetically so shook the area that for generations, the Magi of which he was chief held onto the Hebraic prophetic uh, scriptures and they studied them and they kept, they, they kept watch over them. And what, what we're going to do is we're going to make a bit of a case looking at what the wise men or the Magi seem to know. We're going to make a case at some of the scriptures they must have been studying. Now that's what's key here. It's the fact that if we if we do not know what the Word of God says, then we will not be able to walk in His promises. If we do not know who He truly is and what His kingdom represents, then we'll never be able to advance it. And so there's something that comes about when we have a conviction about His Word and an ability to, to know Him and be in communion with Him that we can then represent Him on earth and that we can then contend for the things that He's wanting to release. So this group of Magi, we see them in the book of Daniel. We see them in the book of Jer Jeremiah, this order of Magi. And so the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and, and we're going to see what happens here. So in Matthew chapter 2, did I say Luke 2? I did say Luke 2. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. So uh, let's flick over to Matthew. It's just a couple of books previous. And uh, you'll find it in the, the Bible app very quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, so we're going to read it out and let's see where we get. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, we've got to take a step uh, back for a second and consider what's going on here. Why is King Herod so disturbed and why all Jerusalem with him? Now, again, this is something that's tied to uh, Jesus fulfilling the prophetic scriptures. So if you look at one of the, one of the prophetic uh, words that was coming about is that in Numbers chapter 24, 24, 24 uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 uh, to 18, there was a prophecy, uh, a prophecy again 
by a man not of the, um, the Hebrew fold, a man named Balaam, who was originally sent to curse uh, the Israelites, but he came and he, and he kind of bent into the will of the Lord. And he starts releasing this messianic prophetic declaration of the king to come. And so in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob and a scepter, his rulership, will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth, and Edom will be conquered. Now, this is a key thing, Edom. What is Edom? Edom are the people, Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And it turns out King Herod, who was like a proxy king of the Jews in that time that the Roman Empire put in place, was a Jew in, uh, in, in, in practice, but he was a descendant of Esau. And this very, I mean, this, this should blow our minds. I mean, if you look at the scripture, there are so many prophetic things that point to Jesus and his coming, and, and it should stir faith in us for the fact that, about the fact that he really fulfilled the messianic call. But the thing is, Herod would have known these scriptures, Herod's fathers were, you know, Abraham and Isaac. They split off at Jacob and Esau, but that he held this faith. And so he, as, as, at the moment he heard that there was a star and that there was a new one coming to rule, he's thinking, I'm on the wrong side. What have I done here? I've yielded to the Roman Empire. And then the same thing, it's, it happens, it says, all, and it says, uh, where is it? Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now this is obviously, this is like a hyperbole because uh, there's so much scripture about how there were so many waiting earnestly um, for, the, for this king. Um, but the all Jerusalem speaks of, we see as, as the scripture follows on, we see, uh, the, the council of leaders highlighted. And so what we're seeing is that every person in a high place that holds itself up against the power of Jesus, anything that comes up against the kingdom of God starts to tremble when they consider that Jesus has arrived. And so in that moment, there's this prophetic sort of uh, recognition or revelation that's coming on the people in that room. And they're thinking, what's going on? I th- things are about to shift. We've been, in, we've been under this Roman Empire, uh, the rule for this amount of time, and now something's changing. And so fear starts to stir in their hearts. And, and here's the thing, right? Any kingdom that attempts to stand against the kingdom of God will fall. That's one of the prophetic things that's being declared, as, as was declared in Numbers. The thing is, you know what? When Jesus comes, nothing can stand against the rule and reign and, and his kingdom advancing, which is an incredible revelation. It should blow our minds. So cool. So Herod sought to kill, derail, dethrone Christ to his obviously eventual demise. But the wise men got on board with the program. These wise men, the Magi, who were of a different fold, they knew that they either had to yield and recognize what God was doing or miss out completely. And so you have these two sides, uh, people on uh, you know, one side of the fence and another side of the fence. And you've got the people that should be carrying the very pro- the prophetic promises of God with expectation, but they've missed it. And it's a right and they weren't ready. And then you have a bunch of people that because of hunger 
And because they were studying the scriptures, they recognized the coming of the Lord and a new age of his reign. And, uh, and it's really exciting uh, to consider that. And, it, and I was thinking, when I was reading this, I was thinking of when, when I was younger. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, when, when mom and dad are away, the children come out to play or something like that? It just means the, the, kids, get, the kids get a little bit cheeky. And so I remember when mom and dad went out, if they were going to, you know, go to the shops or picking up some groceries or whatever, um, when I was younger, much younger, I assure you, um, me and my brothers used to play all sorts of games. And I remember like once mom and dad were gone, I was in charge. And so I got to choose who played which role in the games that we played. And uh, I was a bit of a bully. If I wanted to play cats and dogs, we were playing cats and dogs. If I want to watch a particular movie, we were watching a particular movie. And... Um, and I remember bullying my younger brother, Josiah, and we used to play this game where we pretended we were, you know, like I, was, I was looking for a new puppy, and I went to the dog kennel, and uh, both Josiah and Ethan, they were both puppies, and, and who, depending on who was annoying me that day, obviously at some point, for some reason, it was Josiah. <laughs> And I used to say, okay, Josiah, you're the, like the ugly puppy. Or so. I don't know what I said. Something really mean. I repent. I repent, Lord. Um, but you know what? That, I mean, that's, like, it's so corrupt and so mean. And uh, my parents wouldn't stand for something like that. And, uh, and so if I was like, no, you're not coming out or you're not playing with us or whatever, it just it kind of happened. Um, until mom and dad come back. And then when mom and dad come back, mom and dad are old school. And uh, if you know what that means, you know what that means. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so anyways, but that's the thing, right? When mom and dad return, I'd be in big trouble. And that's the thing. Jesus is coming back and he came back. And when he came, any kingdom that was standing up against the will and uh, the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the will of the father or the kingdom of heaven could not stand. It had to crumble. And that's the beautiful thing about the coming of Jesus. So we're seeing glimpses of a new authority through these sort of prophetic declarations in his word. And then we see these uh, glimpses of like prophetic fulfillment, which is really cool. So we'll keep reading in verse four. It says, when he had called together all the people's chiefs, so this is Herod calling together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Again, referencing, looking at scripture. So now he's wanting to be informed about what God is doing because he needed some element of power or ability to take on this coming Messiah. And so uh, the chief priests say, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. Verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. So this is a whole nother story, but like they're following this star and the star appears at the time of Jesus' birth. Some people, some scholars like, I'm talking like, anyway, there are some scholars that believe the very appearance of this star was the glory of God returning because the glory of God left um, 
the camp at a particular point in time due to a whole bunch of stuff. And it was like the signal of God's return, which is really cool. And there's some prophetic things to back that up as well. Um, but there's like this beautiful thing of like this star appears when Jesus came. And another thing to be said about this is that they saw the star when it appeared and they came from the east. Some say it was about 900 miles away where ba- in, in Babylon area. And they had to travel, some say, for 18 months just to get to this place to visit this king. And it's like, when you think about that, this word, these scriptures had so gripped their heart. Such a a revelation of who God was and his coming rule and reign had gripped their heart that they wanted to get on the right side. They wanted to pay it. They wanted to come and they wanted to recognize him as king. And to consider how far it drove them, I I believe it should inspire us. But, you know, it, 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 when we get back to what God is doing, when we consider His Word, when we consider what God is doing and His agenda, the things He's prophesied, the things He's spoken, if we honor it with that same heart, I'm telling you, as He says, nothing is impossible uh, to those who believe. And so, where did I read up to? Verse 8, He sent them to Bethlehem. So He says, He sends them, so yeah, the star appeared. Verse 8, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's what uh, King Herod says. Okay, God is doing something. God is obviously doing something, and it's very apparent to the king, to King Herod, the chief priest, is apparent to these magi who have been studying the stars. Uh, God is doing something, and it requires, when God is doing something, it requires that we pay attention. And someone once said that the very term, to pay attention, like, it infers that we're paying something. We're paying attention. It actually costs us to pay attention. Attention is a resource. And so to consider the fact that, you know, paying attention implies a payment of discipline. There's like a discipline involved here. So we have to be, as God's people, disciplined to know His Word, to know what He's doing, to be aware, not blind, to the fact that He's doing something in our midst. You won't get what you don't pay for. When, when, when Vanessa and I uh, got married, she gifted me with this Daniel Wellington watch, and uh, it was really beautiful, and then we went on our, I think it was our honeymoon, or maybe it was a one-year anniversary, and at a Thai, uh, like in, in Thailand, there was like, you know, you could go to the markets in Thailand, and they're selling all sorts of stuff, and I found a Daniel Wellington watch, and it was only, it was selling for only $10, and I was like, Heck yeah, I'm going to buy that. And so I picked it up and like within a week, the thing stopped working. <laughs> and the reality is you don't get what you, you get what you pay for and you don't get what you don't pay for. And so, you know, sometimes we think there's like, you know, there's an easy route and it's, no, the, the reality is you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. If you want to be involved with what God's doing, pay him attention. There is an authentic thing that he's doing. Pay him attention. Get involved. Ask, seek, knock. There is, there's actually a required hunger to be involved in what God is doing. The very, the, the invitation that Jesus puts out that he says, ask and you will receive. He literally says, you have not because you ask not. And then he, he talks about in another time, says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. What does that mean? That means there's a responsibility on us to, to go after the things of God. Again, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings 
to seek it out, to search it out. And so it could be happening in your own town and you might miss it. Think about Jesus. So when these magi, they eventually, uh, spoiler alert, they rock up to Jesus's house. They find him. And to think they go in and they recognize this baby as the savior of the earth. But Jesus' own neighbors probably didn't know what was happening next door. There's, there's a whole town and a whole movement of people who've been waiting for this Messiah for millennia. And they were, what was happening was happening completely um, under their noses and they were completely oblivious to it. And so it could be happening in your own town, you might miss it. Or you may be halfway across the world and be made aware to what the Lord is doing and you seek it out in your honor and that's what happens to these magi. Halfway across the world and they're like, no, God is doing something. I've seen it, I've heard it, I know it, I sense it, I've studied it, it's backed up in scripture. And so now I've got to pay attention, I've got to pay a price, I've got to go after this, I've got to contend for this thing. And so they're out walking or outworking their faith as they're practicing it, which is really cool. So, and then Revelations, not, uh, sorry, Revelations, whoa, let's go to Revelations. Uh, Matthew 2 verse 9, um, <laughs> Matthew 2 verse 9, uh, we're continuing the story. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So this star stops over the place where the child was. And uh, when, they saw the star, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Wow, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then it says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Wow. Okay, this is crazy. Like, they, they gift this child with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it says, out of their own treasure, um, it says they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. And it's like, all this honor for a child? Who is this child? Well, obviously, they recognized him for who he was. They recognized that God was doing something, even in a baby. Again, for us, do we recognize what God is doing? when he's doing it? Do we even give honor to when God is doing something and it starts small? Or it's, it seems subtle. You know, when I was, again, a couple, a month ago now, whenever it was when I was in South Africa, I walked out of where I was staying on the way to church where I was ministering that day. And I got this sense, we know about these sort of impressions or senses when we get sort of an impression that God wants to heal someone. And sometimes we sense what he's wanting to heal someone from. And so I had this sense, like I felt like a migraine for just a moment or for what I assume feels like a migraine. And it felt like it was behind, you know, my right eye or something like that. And I went to church and it was subtle and I could have completely dismissed it. And sometimes that's what we do. God's doing something, you know, there's a bit of favor here or God's blessed you financially here or someone gave a word of encouragement and God's trying to stir your faith so that you'd continue to ask, seek and knock and go after the things um, of his word. And so I sensed this thing, it was small and I could have dismissed it and I got to church that day, I preached the word and then at the end, I'm like, you know what, let's just go for this. It's now or never and uh, I'm never gonna see these guys anyway once I leave. So I'll just, I may as well do this. It's like a, you know, Anyway, so I gave the word and two people came up and 
Uh, one person got healed, which is absolutely incredible. The second person that came up was like a skeptic. And, and the pers- that second person that came up didn't just have a migraine, but they had it exactly where I said I was feeling it that morning. And so it was behind like my right eye. And I prayed for her and she didn't feel anything. Like she, no healing, no, no um, you know, relief. And I'm like, let's pray again because I just, uh, God wouldn't have shown this to me unless he was wanting to do something. Let's get amongst what God's doing. I prayed, declared, again, nothing. And I said, look, I just believe this is God. God is going to heal you. You will be healed because this is, he showed it to me. He wouldn't have shown it to me if he wasn't wanting to heal you. God's doing something. And it's like, it's what, what am I doing there? I'm seeking out what God's wanting to do and I'm contending for it. And anyway, I, I let her walk away after having said, I believe you will be healed. As she walked away, she turned around and started coming back to me, tears in her eyes. She starts bawling because uh, all the pain in her head had completely left. And it's that, that in itself is like a beautiful picture of one of the times that because of obedience, because of humility in that moment, I'm like, actually, I should be yielding to Christ in this. And when I did, he was faithful. And uh, Warwick was sharing a, a testimony with me just this morning outside. And they had a street team on Friday. And street team was not scheduled to happen. And so um, nobody showed up except for, you know, it was Warwick, it was Kieran and a lady named Annie. And they went out and they ended up ministering to a man who uh, had you know, terminal cancer, and he, he's supposed to die in six months, and they're praying for him, declaring healing over him, and by the end, I'm sorry if I butcher the story, but by the end of the night, he starts to, like, have seizures and stuff like that, and then, I mean, Warwick was sharing the testimony of the fact that they had Annie with her. Annie was, like, a trained nurse or a doctor or some sort of medical training. She had some sort of medical training, and so she was able to look after him until the ambulance arrived, And it's just like this beautiful picture of like, you know what? God called us to go out this evening. We're going to go out this evening. Not because it's just, it's on a schedule or it's this or that. It's like, you know, I heard God say something. We're going to go out this evening. There's some people that are willing to go out this evening. And every time that you're willing to go out on the word of God, he's faithful uh, to fulfill his word. And so I just think that's such a beautiful testimony that they were there with this man. They prayed with him. They shared the gospel and, uh, I think, I mean, you know, the testimony there is the fact that they were there when he was having the seizure and they were able to help him. And so I just think these, these stories of recognizing God, even in those beginning stages, that, like, that's so important. Sometimes we expect, you know, the big thing to just fall on our lap, but God is calling us to contend and to recognize for what he's doing, um, even in the smaller moments. Amen. So awesome. Jesus is an infant. God is faithful to finish what he started. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says that. And Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. That's where it is in Zechariah. Again, to use a cliche, honor is given where honor is due. But we won't know what's due unless we know what's been done or what's being done. So if you want to, if, if, you know, this is a call to honor what God's doing, but you've got to know what he's doing. You've got to be aware of what he's doing. Read his word, find what he's doing. And that's what happened to these magi. So who is this child? Okay, what they brought, what the gifts that they brought to Jesus represented how they recognized him. And so it seems, we, we can make a case um, for some of the scriptures that they were studying, but Jesus they recognize Jesus as Jesus the King, firstly. So, 
you, you may have heard that the gold represents his kingship. The fact that he's king and that he's Lord. Everybody say Jesus the king. Jesus the king. And so I want to read to you a prophetic word out of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9. Feel free to turn there if you'd like to. It's in the Old Testament. Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 9. I'm just going to read to 17. I just think this is so cool. So this is a prophetic word about the coming Messiah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king. Everybody say your king. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey. That's crazy. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot uh, from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the, bat- the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to nations. So this prophetic word is speaking about how God is bringing people from all folds that, would, that are willing to yield to him uh, uh, to be saved and to join this kingdom. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. These magi are probably thinking, man, we're not of that fold, but I read this and I think there's someone that's inviting me into a fold and I want to recognize it and I want to come alongside it and I want to make him my king. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Declare Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent for I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim his its arrow. So they got that's talking about how God used both both his the people of God, so the Jews, and those not of his fault. So Ephraim were the enemies of Judah. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you together like a warrior's sword. Wow. This prophetic declaration before um, the, the Hebrews even realized that God was wanting to, or, or walked in, the fact that God was wanting to bring all peoples uh, into him. Um, there's this prophetic declaration in the book of Zechariah about what God wants to do. And so he is the rightful king. Amen. The king in Zechariah is the kind of king I want to be on the side of. I don't want to be, on the op- I don't want to be in opposition. Uh, I don't want to be opposing this king. Honor, let's honor this conquering and saving king for who he is, uniting Jew and Gentile. It's his story. It's his agenda. It's his kingdom. You know, something happened to me that was very humbling in South Africa. I was, we talk about this culture in our NCMI equips, right, where we want to create space for what the Spirit is doing and be, uh, I guess, like, if we throw out our run sheet based on what God is doing or we move around our run sheet based on what God is doing, then we want to see him as king enough to be able to do that. And so I was slotted in to be preaching. And over the course of my time in South Africa, two of my preaching slots got taken away from me. And uh, someone else that was preaching with us, was, you know, we're traveling together, was preaching in those places instead of me. And in that moment, I could be like, and I did, to be honest. I was like, what's going on? Like, am I not a, I'm not a good enough preacher, whatever. And uh, I've definitely got a ways to go. But the thing is, in that moment, I could either oppose the kingdom and try and bring about my agenda or realize, you know what? God's version of this gathering is the best version we could possibly go after. This is what we're going after. We're going after the king's agenda. I think about a big LED screen like this. You know, if, if one of these squares suddenly blacked out 
and it stopped working, you'd notice it. Or even, even, um, even further so, if you look at a, a TV screen and, you know, sometimes when you buy a new TV, there's these things called dead pixels. And so one pixel's not working. And like the picture's great and it's working, but you notice that one dead pixel. And I think this is like the role that we play. When we don't play our role in the big kingdom God story, you'll notice it. But when you play your part, all you see is His picture for His glory. We don't shine, we don't stand out like, oh, there's the, that's, oh, how good's that little LED diode on the, whatever. It's like, no, it's not about that. It's actually, God's call, calling us to contribute, play our part and be a part of what He's doing, but it's His kingdom. It's His thing and He's king. And so when we bring gold, when we recognize Him as king, you know what I think it does? There's a couple of things. When Jesus is king, it means we believe, believe He has the authority. So there's power in what He says and He's a good king. Secondly, it means He has our allegiance. You know, our resource is now aligned to his ultimate purposes. And then thirdly, there is a kingdom agenda that we have to acknowledge. It's his kingdom agenda. Um, Luke 1.33 says, of his kingdom there shall be no end. It's like, man, let's, get a, let's, let's join in with that kingdom. There's no use building our own kingdom. Let's join in with the kingdom that will last forever. Amen. So that, that's this this. Beautiful picture that comes about when they bring the gold to Jesus. When they bring the frankincense, people, says, people say it represents Jesus the priest. Everybody say Jesus the priest. Now Jesus is the high priest who brings in this new covenant. It's a brand new order that invites all people because of their, their newfound righteousness in Him to have one-on-one, one, you know, a one-on-one relationship with God. So you now have the righteousness and the ability to talk to the Father as your Father. And so we see this in Jeremiah 31. And again, this could possibly be where they found this. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Man, when, when all you know is the one covenant that God has given or the, or the standing covenant, it can be controversial to pronounce as new covenant. But there's a new covenant that's being prophesied here. And it says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. It's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I will be their God and shall be my, they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord. And here's the key. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. So Jesus comes as the great and final high priest. And he pours out his blood as a sacrifice. And you know what? God remains a just God because there's a penalty for how we've wronged him and how we've destroyed this perfect earth. But he says, you know what? I can't put that on these people. They'll never be able to pay me back for what they've done and what they've destroyed. So I will come in human form as Jesus. God comes and he pays that price. And he pours out his blood. And Jesus, the high priest, now gives us the ability to have the law within us. 
this ability to know what He's doing, the Holy Spirit, what Holy Spirit is saying, Holy Spirit now dwells within us. When Jesus is priest, He meditates on behalf of sinners and He makes way for a new covenant and He marks His disciples as priests in this new priestly order. And this frankincense, this frankincense had a beautiful aroma. And so there's, there's all sorts of... Uh, there's all sorts of documentation in, in you know, the, the Old Testament about how the Lord, for different, different sacrifices, that the law required a pleasing aroma, and that when the, when the sacrifice was done right, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But one such time, in Numbers 15, it's tied to the Israelites preparing for the promised land. And you know, Jesus, you know, the, Jesus was known as Joshua. You know, Jesus is the Greek name for Jesus, for Joshua. So there's Joshua. We know Yeshua. There was one other Yeshua in Scripture, the Joshua that led God's people into the fulfillment of their prophetic inheritance, into the promised land. And it was a shadow of the Jesus that we now call King and Savior, the the high priest that could lead us, that had the ability to lead us into the fulfillment and the promised land and the kingdom come sort of uh, era that we are now at. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant sacrificial offering to God. It was pleasing to God. It was pleasing to man. It's a good news fragrance. A good news fragrance. It's a fragrance that it's much better. It's like, you know, when mom's cooking something or, or dad's cooking something. And uh, when, when I come home, sometimes the, the house just smells incredible. That's the, the problem with being married. I shouldn't blame Vanessa. But the problem with being married to Vanessa is that she's just such a good cook. And uh, you look at my photos from five years ago. And anyway, um, so, <laughs> no, nah, it's not the truth. It's not the truth. Um, but Last week, there was like the smell of this lasagna type dish that Vanessa was making. And I, I, was, I came home and I smelled it I'm like, oh my gosh, that smells incredible. And, and it was like a good news fragrance. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it turns out that food was for Josiah and Sophie, <laughs> you know, as a gift to look after them after they had a kid. And so I was, it was a not so good news fragrance after that. But um, it's like how quickly... Does the, the smell of good food send a signal to the human brain to prepare, you know, your appetite and you start salivating and it's like, man, that smells good. In the same way, what Jesus came to do is he, he came as a high priest to display the good news, to live the good news, to declare the good news of the kingdom that was to come. And, and what Jesus does is he shows us that it's the goodness of God that turns people to repentance. And so when, when Jesus displays himself, when he lives the life that he lives, it's like this beautiful fragrance to both God and man. And it leads us into him. And it's beautiful. And these, these magi, they recognize that anointing on him. And lastly, Jesus the prophet. If I can actually get the band to come up, it would be awesome. Um, Jesus the prophet, um, when, they, when they gifted him with this myrrh, this, um, this myrrh, they were recognizing Jesus as a prophet, some would say. And so when Jesus is prophet, he, his life is both a fulfillment of prophecy, but also a declaration, a prophetic declaration. So when Jesus comes, he's, he's coming as the great prophet that fulfills all prophet, prophets and all prophecies. But then he also, with his life, he prophesies what we can walk into. So he comes and as the great prophet, 
he, he then he lives a life that we can now fall into. He becomes the new pattern, the new blueprint for what God is calling us to become. Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, again, prophetic word, declares that God will raise him up from among your kinsmen, a prophet like me. And so uh, there's, this, there's this idea that the Messiah would also be a prophet, a prophet to declare that, that you know, the, the ultimate prophecies for generations to come. And that was the word that he brought. Talk about fulfilling the prophetic. Isaiah 53, uh, I'm sure you guys have read this, but every time I read this, it just, it blows me away. This is, this is the prophetic fulfillment. Um, this is what Jesus fulfilled when he came. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by His wounds, we are now healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So He did not open His mouth. Now, if you're familiar with the the Easter story. You, you know how beautiful and spot on this is. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He died. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, resurrection, and be satisfied by his knowledge. And my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils of the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He's the ultimate blueprint and entry point for, for sinners to be born into this new creation reality. What he prophesies with his life is the new life that we're called to walk into. And so to consider that these magi from far, far away were able to recognize what God was doing in this child, like it should blow our minds. It should stir us to, to consider how deeply we know what God is doing in this time, in this hour. How deeply we know His already spoken word. Because these, these magi who weren't God's people, they weren't a covenant people, 
they knew who the child was. They knew that he was the ultimate gift to mankind and that the ultimate gift to mankind beckons a worthy response. And all they could think to bring to the one who was a gift was gifts. All they could think to bring to the one that was to pour everything out was for themselves out of their own treasury to pour out. And I, and I believe like the more we know who He is, the more we know His Word, what He says of Himself, how worthy He is, it leads us into this response of worship. It leads us into this response of praise. It leads us into this response of confession. And we declare His goodness and we declare His kingdom come. Because He's the greatest gift of all. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government on His shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hey, for those of you that are wondering about how God could be a child, Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, and He will be called Mighty God. God came down, put on flesh for you and I so that we could make sense of this mystery, the glorious gospel, and we could live in that inheritance forevermore. Amen. And so if the Magi could recognize what God was doing, I think now with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, we have a, a, whole, a whole lot of a better chance at recognizing what the Lord is doing. Why don't, why don't we stand uh, to our feet this morning? This, this message is, I mean, it's, it's Christmas and uh, I thought it'd be cool to preach out of one of the Christmas stories, but it's just, it's a message for us as believers. Like, are we still the type of people that recognize what God is doing? What God is doing in our lives, in our workplaces, in our churches? Uh, are we the type of people that recognize what God is doing in our families and in our own lives? Are we still yielding to Him? Do we consider Him our King, our priest and our prophet? Because when we do, our lives are completely yielded and submitted to Him. And so I just pray this Christmas season that it would, it would be a time where we uh, see Him for who He is in a fresh way, with like a fresh reverence. So Heavenly Father, we thank You that You said in the last days You'd pour out Your Spirit on all flesh. We thank You that You made a way to do so with Your Son. And we just thank You, God, that You are making us as your people, even more aware to what you're doing. Father, we pray that you continue to stir us uh, to respond appropriately as we recognize you for who you truly are. And we pray that you'd stir within us an honor and a desire to know your word, to know what you're saying, to know what you're doing in this age and in the age to come. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. amen. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.